The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Well, good morning. My name is Mick, and as you probably guessed, I'm one of those pastors that are asking, uh, answering the big questions being asked in Yaffe, the Millennial Edition. This is our last Sunday of the series, and our topic today is how do I overcome sin and guilt? Have you noticed that sin and guilt is very much in the news today? There is discussions and articles about sin and guilt within cultures and how it makes them work. There's discussions of how there is sin and guilt between cultures. You can find articles on sin and guilt and how it affects family systems. Shame, uh, guilt and shame has it relates to achievement and appearance. Um, guilt and shame has it pertains to being politically incorrect. The fact is we hear a lot about guilt and shame in our culture. Now by the time you get to just the second chapter in the Bible, you will have already made two critical observations about our topic today. Number one, the first thing you'll observe is that shame and guilt have been a part of the human experience for a long, long time. In fact, since the very dawn of human history. Guilt entered the picture when Adam and Eve willfully broke the only commandment that God ever gave them in order to do things their own way. Not only were they guilty in truth, the fact is their transgression, eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they also felt their guilt. All of us have spent some time in the school of guilt and shame. Some of us may have even earned doctorates there. But there's another thing we want to observe from the account in Genesis, and this is where you can begin to fill in your outline. Shame and guilt are essentially relational emotions. After Adam and Eve had broken God's only rule, they immediately go into hiding and blaming. Shame now enters the human equation. They do not feel worthy any longer to be in God's presence or even in each other's presence. Their relationships have been broken. They begin to live broken lives from that point onward. And we are their offspring, all of us. The family resemblance has been passed along. Guilt and shame now are commonplace among us. Now, guilt and shame works its way out in our lives in all kinds of different uh, fashions. Some people like to use guilt and shame to get us to do what they want to do and be the people they want us to be. How many times have you in your life encountered statements like this? How can you be so selfish as not to lend me this money? You are loaded, okay? Usually that's a teenager talking to their parent. You said what? What kind of a despicable person would say that to her? Or how about this? You know, you really should visit them. They are your parents, you know. That's usually a spouse to the other spouse. There's plenty of people out there who need your help right now and you're going on vacation? Don't you even care? Or this classic, okay? After all I've done for you, you can't even come home for Christmas? Now, you may have been on the receiving end of some of those guilt and shame lines or maybe you've even used some of them. The guilt message is a way to get you to do what other people want. The shame message is a way to get you to agree with their perception of you. The trouble is that these lines all too often work. They work on some of us all the time and all the time on some of us. 
Why is it that we fall for these lines? Why do guilt and shame uh, cause us to get so bent out of shape? How come they cause us to feel wretched about ourselves? Well, do you know where sin and guilt have their source? Now, are you all sitting down? This is important because this is something maybe you haven't heard before. Do you want to know where guilt and shame have their source? It has its source in the fact that we all want to be loved. If you're following on your outline, we all want to be loved. We all do. God made us that way so that we would crave love. Now, the love that we were designed for is the agape love of God. But sometimes we look for the love we need, not from God principally, but from others. And so think about this. In my heart of hearts, I want to be loved by my mom. I want to be appreciated by my spouse. I want to be respected by my children. I want to be valued by my employer. I want to be sought out by my friends. I want to be accepted by my peers. I want to be noticed by my heroes. Don't you? And why not love you? Really, you never lie or deceive to avoid discomfort or to get your own way. You never speak an unkind word, right? You always keep your promises, even when it costs. You're always kind, even to people you don't know. You treat everyone with respect, even those who don't like you. You never, ever talk behind somebody else's back. You are a phenomenal listener, and you seek to understand the other's point of view. You're always patient, and you never lose your temper. You never put someone else down just to make yourself look good. You always applaud and celebrate other people's successes. You're never defensive, and you welcome feedback. You're always generous with your time, talent, and treasure. I mean, what's not to love? It's really hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, am I right? But here's our dirty little secret, your secret and my secret. We all want to be loved, but none of us is perfect. We all want to be loved, but none of us is perfect. And that's why guilt and shame get to us. We want to be loved, but we think and do things that sometimes are not all that lovable. We live in the twilight zone between wanting to look good and actually being good. That zone in which we fall short of being perfect is the breeding ground for guilt and shame. Guilt and shame thrives in the gap, if you're filling it in your outline, it thrives in the gap between how we want to be seen and who we really are, between how we want to see ourselves and what our behavior is really saying about us. The reason we can't avoid feelings of guilt and shame is because we're not perfect and we're not innocent, certainly not all the time. Everyone has done things that they're not proud of. Some of us may be involved in activities and relationships right now that we're terrified will come to light and reveal our deepest secrets. It's a curious thing about us as human beings that we desperately want to be known and we're terrified about being discovered. So how do we live above guilt and shame? How do we handle these emotions so that they don't define and determine the quality of our lives and relationships? How can I deal with guilt and shame without being debilitated by them how can I ever recover from wrong and shameful things that I did or thought or said? While troubleshooting anything 
starts with understanding the problem. And so if we're going to tackle this issue of guilt and shame, we need to be clear on what we're talking about. So what is guilt? Well, guilt essentially, if you're looking for a textbook definition, guilt is an awareness or failure against a standard, if you're following along on your outline. Guilt is about breaking a moral or ethical code or law that you own and you take seriously. Now that code might be a religious one or a personal one or a family one or legal or societal. It's what we hold ourselves to. Now on one hand, there's the fact of guilt. The reality is, if you are driving 100 kilometers an hour on the Portman Bridge, you, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, you are a lawbreaker, okay? Because the speed limit on the Portman is 90 kilometers, in case you haven't noticed, okay? Um, if you are driving 100 and it's only 90 kilometers, the fact is you are guilty. Any police officer can pull you aside and, you know, you'll pay a price for that. It's usually not that type of guilt that bends us out of shape. It's usually not the fact of guilt so much as the feelings of guilt that are basically our consciences calling us out, telling us where we've crossed the line, showing us where we've missed the mark, where we've dropped the ball. You want to stop drinking, but you can't. You want to live with a happy, cheerful, optimistic attitude, but you don't. You want to quit yelling at your kids, but you haven't. You want to be the kind of person who manages your anger well, but you're not. You'd like to think you've become unselfish, but you haven't. You'd like to have your internet use under control, but you don't. Guilt is knowing that you have a personal code or standard and that somehow or another you have failed to meet the mark, that you have kind of missed uh, compliance with something that you feel is important and you feel guilty that I've broken the rule. Shame is a little bit different. Shame is a related issue, but it's not exactly the same as guilt. Guilt is, is that sense that I have broken a standard, I have done a bad thing. Shame is a sense of failure in the eyes of someone else. Shame is about how I perceive others see me, or even how I see myself. Guilt says I've done a bad thing. Shame says I'm a bad person. Brene Brown, in her book, Daring Greatly, describes it this way. Shame is the intensely painful experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is the painful feeling of having lost the love and respect of others because of something you've done or something you think you are. And though it's similar to guilt, it's got a broader definition. It is a state and a feeling. Shame is a sense of feeling bad, a state of internal condemnation that causes us to become self-critical and sometimes even self-punishing. Shame says, I am what I am, I cannot change, take me the way I am, I'm hopeless. Now some people distinguish between guilt and shame by saying that guilt describes what we do where shame shames us for what we are. You feel guilty for yelling at your child. You feel shame for being a bad parent. You feel guilty for not studying for a test. You feel shame for being a slacker. You feel guilty for crossing the line sexually. You feel shame for being loose morally. You feel guilt for not telling the truth. You feel shame for being a liar. You feel guilty for taking something that's not yours. 
you feel shame for being greedy. Do you follow? Guilt is an awareness of failure against a standard. Shame is a sense of failure before the eyes of someone else, how we're perceived. This summer, I read a novel by a celebrated Canadian author, Louise Penny, and in her book, she has these two characters, uh, Paul and Clara. Now, Paul and Clara met and got married out of art school, and uh, Peter is an attractive, talented painter who has had success in selling his works for good money, thousands of dollars, actually, for some of his works. He is talented, nobody argues that, but he is not brilliantly talented. He's kind of tier two, but he's not really tier one. And um, he goes about his craft with workmanlike precision, and he's a little frustrated that he hasn't broken through to celebrated status as an artist. He's failed to earn the widespread acclaim that would validate him as an artist in his own mind. And then we have Clara. Clara kind of dabbles in art in her husband's shadow, but it turns out that in this family, Clara is not only talented, she is brilliant. And at first, nobody knows just how gifted she really is. But it slowly dawns on Peter, her husband, that she is really the better artist of the two of them. And he starts to become angry and jealous. His misplaced shame, misplaced of course, because he is the artist of note in the family, He's the one whose paintings are being bought and keeping a roof over their head and food on the table. But he senses that if Clara's work is going to be known, she is going to get the kind of attention that he has always wanted. If she has success, his successes won't look as important. He would have failed where she would have succeeded. Well, it's bad enough that he feels this sense of shame that he is kind of feeling badly about his wife's giftedness. But his hidden sense of shame leads him to take steps to begin to undermine Clara's confidence and hinder her from being discovered. And so he adds to his growing sense of shame feelings of guilt for what he's done to keep her under wraps. Now, don't make any mistake, Peter loves his wife, but he cannot reveal this shameful secret that he is actually jealous of her. He cannot love her in the way that he wants. There's something between them. He hides in the shadows. He hides a part of himself from the very person who loves him and who could help him the most. And so Peter deals with both the shame of not being everything that he thinks he should be and the guilt of trying to undermine Clara. You see, guilt and shame are not just bad feelings about yourself. They are so emotions that lead you to act in certain ways. They shape the way you see yourself, yes, but they also motivate your behaviors. And so ultimately, they end up impacting your relationships. So here's the question we're trying to answer this morning. How can you and I live above guilt and shame? Guilt and shame are a part of the human experience, but surely we can handle these things better than we do. So I want to give you four action steps based on things that the Bible teaches that can help us to live above guilt and shame. And the first one, if you're following on your outline, is this one. You need to swap your story. It all begins here. Now you're thinking, well, Pastor Mick, what in the world are you talking about? We all live our lives from a story. Our stories may be scripted by our past or informed by our present. Our stories may have been written by our parents or our peers or the people we work for. 
The question I'd ask you today is who is writing the story that you are living out of today? Guilty feelings tend to arise from the stories we write for ourselves. Toxic guilt turns you in on yourself, and feelings of guilt arise when you feel that you are letting yourself down, that you failed in your own eyes. Feelings of shame come from the stories that others write about us. And toxic shame leads us to either avoid other people or to please other people. And feelings of shame arise when you feel that you are letting others down, that you are a failure in the eyes of others. So let me tell you some of the stories that we sometimes script our lives around that aren't particularly helpful. My life is hopeless and useless. I will never amount to anything. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I will never overcome my past. Neil Anderson once said this. He said that the devil's favorite tactic is to convince people to live their life on the basis of a lie. Guilt and shame can cause us to believe that we have messed up beyond hope of recovery, that we have fallen too far from grace to ever be forgiven or healed or restored. And the countermeasure for this assault is to embrace the truth. To change your emotions, you need to change your story. It all begins here. You need to change your story from a false story to a true story. So what is the true story? What does the Bible teach about guilt and shame? This is an important biblical text from the pen of Paul the Apostle. He says this, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. When you come to Jesus Christ, you become a new person with new possibilities. You discover that your worth and value is based on God's love for you, not what you have achieved or what other people think. It doesn't matter who you were before or what you've done in the past, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are no longer the person you are. You can make a new start. Now guilt and shame can be constructive when those emotions cause you to turn to God who forgives your sin, takes away your guilt, and forgives your shame. When we let God have his way in our lives, he rewrites our false stories and he replaces them with true stories. And God's stories about us sound like this. You are loved. You are valuable. You are a son or daughter of God. You can be forgiven. You can have hope. When we live from God's script, he sets us free from the debilitating effects of guilt and shame. And with guilt and shame out of the way, relationships with others can be restored. Relationships with God, relationships with others, even relationships with ourselves. With shame and guilt out of the way, we can live with new freedom and new confidence, which leads me to today's big idea. We always try at Broadway Church to sort of encompass the main thought of each message with a big idea, and this is today's big idea. If you change your story, God can change your life. If you change your story, God can change your life. And you can change your story this morning by inviting Jesus Christ into your life. This is where real and lasting change begins. What seems impossible on your own becomes possible when God is in your life. And then you can move on to tackle the emotions of guilt and shame with a few other steps that I'd like to recommend to you. So here's number two. You need to swap your story, yours for God's. Number two, you need to face your failures. Now guilt can have its upside. It can be constructive. To have guilt is to care about your, how your actions affect other people. 
It's to have a moral compass that guides your actions. To have guilt is to have empathy for your fellow human being that maybe you have offended. Guilt is a good motivator when it helps us to do the right thing. It's like the red light on your dashboard. When it comes on, it tells you something's got to be done about my car. It's just not working properly. Guilt tells us that when something is wrong, something needs to be done. And when you feel it, you can have a decision to make. But guilt ignored and not dealt with has an incredible downside. Guilt can also cause us to dread the past. It can be a pain that wells up within our heart because we have done something or said something or failed to do something that we are really embarrassed or concerned about. Often people experience this same kind of dread, obsessed by the memory of some past sin, and they carry it year after year after year, sometimes decade after decade. It never leaves them. It cripples their enjoyment of life. It ruins them spiritually. It impacts their relationships with others. They live in the fear that somewhere, somehow, someone is going to discover their past. It is reported that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote all the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, any Sherlock Holmes fans here in the crowd, anybody? There's a few of us. He said he decided to pull a practical joke on 12 prominent friends of his. And so he just sent them a note anonymously saying, fly at once, all is discovered. And surprisingly, within 24 hours, all 12 of the famous men had left the city. It seems that even the most prominent people sometimes can have something to hide. Guilt arises from that belief that you must meet certain standards to feel you're good about yourself. And when you fail, guilt can be overwhelming. And the greater the damage our sin has caused, the greater the guilt that we feel. And it often leads us to punish ourselves in the vain hope that our self-induced suffering will somehow atone for the wrong that we've done. Guilt causes us to write false stories like this. I don't deserve forgiveness for what I've done. I can't make this right even if I tried. I cannot overcome this bad habit, so why even make the effort? At least I am better than Pastor Simon. Well, you fill in, whoever you want to put in. You know, it's kind of this, you know, we do this rationalization game. But God wants to write a different story for your life, one that sets you free from life-sucking guilt. And so the Bible has a remedy for dealing with guilt feelings. And here it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the true story, friends. You can be forgiven. Whatever you've done, however great your failure, you can be forgiven. God forgives the person who owns, who confesses, and who repents of their sin as often as they bring it to him. Not only does God forgive you, he can enable you to forgive yourself. So for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, this is the truth about even your most shameful sin. It is no longer a part of you. Other people may remember, maybe even you remember, but in God's eyes, whatever you've done has been nailed to the cross and he moves it into the sea of forgetfulness. And then God's Holy Spirit moves in the heart of everyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He empowers us to live a new kind of life. How do you overcome guilt and shame? Well, first of all, you need to swap your stories. Then you need to face your failures. And then thirdly, you need to surrender your shame. Legitimate shame, there is such thing as a legitimate shame, is the shame you feel when there is good reason for it. If I have sinned against God or offended him or if I've sinned against you and offended you and broke my relationship with you, then it's proper to have a sense of shame about that. 
Shame is healthy heart response to the fact of a torn relationship. But there is also a negative and destructive toxic shame. Where guilt feelings focus on your sin, what you did, feelings of shame focuses on your identity, who you are. You don't feel worthy of love because you know who you really are at the core. You don't feel you deserve love because of something you know you've done or neglected to do. Shame steamrolls over you when some flaw in your character or behavior is so important, so overpowering, so disappointing to you that it creates a feeling of negative self-worth and maybe even self-loathing. You haven't just failed when you're dealing with shame, you see yourself as a failure. And here are some of the false stories that shame writes. I'm a bad person. I'm a loser. I will never measure up. I will always be a miserable sinner. I don't deserve to be loved. And yes, in tragic situations, I don't deserve to live. Shame acts like armor that keeps love from getting through, either God's love or the love of someone else. It's the recurring doubt that, boy, Pastor Mick, what you're saying about Jesus, it may be good for other people, but it'll never be good enough for me. If you don't believe that you can be loved, you'll find it hard to have a good relationship with just about anybody. You'll find ways to distance yourself from them or to protect yourself from being truly known. Your core belief is that if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to be in relationship with me. And that is a prime indicator that shame is in play. But again, God wants to write a different story for your life. And so Paul says that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the true story. When Jesus comes into a life, he removes our condemnation by paying the price for our sin. He removes our shame and gives us a new sense of identity. What we were may have been shameful, but what we are now in Christ is beautiful. In this passage from Romans, Paul is saying that the very sins that cause a sense of toxic guilt and shame no longer need to because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Christ's work on the cross has taken away the condemnation. And if God does not condemn you, whose else opinions matter? But you have to surrender your shame. You need to let it go with God's help. In Christ, you are no longer the old you, but you've been paid new, you've been made new. So to live above guilt and shame, you need to swap your stories, you need to face your fears, you need to surrender your shame, but there's one more action step, and in some ways, this might be the hardest one of all. You need to seek some support. Shame thrives on secret keeping and hiding in the shadows. We want to hide our shame because it is ugly, scary, and unforgivable in our own eyes. We want to keep it in the dark so nobody can see just how awful we think we are and how awful we are feeling. But bringing it to the light is the only way out of the darkness. Brene Brown, if you'll allow me to quote her one more time, says, shame derives its power from being unspeakable. If we cultivate enough awareness about shame to name it and speak it, we cut it off at the knees. Shame hates having words wrapped around it. it. If we speak shame, it automatically starts withering. The most powerful way to combat guilt and shame is to name them in the healing presence of somebody who first of all loves God and secondly, loves you. And as you share your same stories or the ways that shame has threatened to silence you, these stories, as they're heard by a compassionate friend, begin to dissipate the shame and the guilt that surrounds what you've done. You get out of that fear of isolation and fear. 
And I think this is what James was getting at in this uh, particular passage that we all know, but we sometimes struggle with. He said, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is something about sharing these feelings of guilt and shame with somebody who loves God and who loves you that starts the process of healing. Frederick Buechner puts it this way. It's about as hard to absolve yourself of your own guilt as it is to sit in your own lap. In order to break the circuit, we need friends with whom we can put aside the disguise, trusting when they see us for who we really are, they won't run away screaming with, if nothing else, laughter. Our trust in them leads them to put their trust in us. In their presence, the fact of our guilt no longer makes us feel and act out our guiltiness. Guilt and shame become destructive when they cause you to turn away from others and into yourselves. When you let others in to walk with you, your life can expand as they help you to live above guilt and shame. Well, guilt and shame isn't something that we can ignore or avoid, so how can we live above guilt and shame? Well, you need to swap your story, step one. You need to face your failures. You need to surrender your shame, and you need to seek some support. It's important not to let guilt and shame thrive in hiding, eating you out from the inside out. When you make that turn into yourself, your life becomes cramped and diminished. And this is not God's design for your life. Rather, you can bring guilt and shame to Jesus who loves you, who forgives you, who wants to set you free. This is a step of faith. Faith is trusting Jesus to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You and I cannot atone for our own sin and wrongdoing, only Jesus can. And he makes this promise. Whoever it is that he, Jesus, sets free, that person is free indeed. Now I've asked Pastor Simon to come and give me a bit of a hand as we wrap up the message today. And uh, as he comes, I want you to um, understand that he is kind of approaching me uh, as Jesus. And I know for most of you that's not gonna be a hard way to kind of think about Pastor Simon. If Pastor Simon is Jesus, I know these things about him. He loved me enough to die for me. He bore the penalty for my guilt and shame. He's invited me to come to him if I am harassed and helpless because I will find a shepherd who cares. He has asked me to take on a yoke that will be easy and a load that will be light. Jesus loves me and he wants the very best for me. Today you can take the first steps in getting off the treadmill of guilt and shame by giving your guilt and shame to Jesus. Now, follow me here. Guilt and shame, whatever their source, are things that we accept and we hold on to. People do not make us feel guilty. We do that to ourselves. Others can try and cause us shame, but we make our own choice to wear the shame. And so our hope lies in letting sin and shame go. It's trading your old guilt and shame story for God's true story about you. Some of us, guilt and shame has so defined our lives that we cannot imagine reality without it. And we look at what Jesus offers and we really sort of just can't imagine, boy, if I trade my story for Jesus' story, like what will my life look like? And there's fear. And believe me, putting your guilt and shame in Jesus' hands takes some courage and some faith. Or there's some of us who take our guilt and our shame and we say, well, I'm really sick of guilt and shame and Jesus says that he'll help me 
and I want to give it to him, but man, can I trust him? Can I really trust him? Can I trust him with one hand? Can I trust him? But freedom comes when you take your guilt and shame and you let Jesus have it. Think of it as putting guilt and shame in Jesus' hands and letting him take it from you. 